I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello everyone and welcome to our final La Liga Lowdown Match Day Recap of 2020. We've got Match Day 16 to go over and as always we're rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157 and as always I'm your host Ewan McTeer. La Liga treated us well in this final round of the year as we've got so many storylines. There's Barcelona and Real Madrid both dropping points. There's Valencia's relegation fears. There was a seven goal thriller between Levante and Real Betis. There was even off-the-pitch drama with Diego Costa's Atletico Madrid contract getting rescinded. So there's so much to discuss and we're going to start with the 1-1 draw between Barcelona and Ibar at the Camp Nou on Tuesday night. It's the first time Ibar have ever drawn there and it's still incredible that they were able to do so. This is the smallest club to ever reach Spain's top division. Ibar is a town of 27,000 people, meaning that if all of them went to the Camp Nou, there would still be 72,000 seats left over. Sadly, none of the seats were occupied for this one as we've still got football taking place behind closed doors in Spain. A few of the players were in the stands, that's true. One of them was Lionel Messi, nursing a minor ankle injury. He watched on to see Kiki Garcia put Ibar ahead and to see Usman Dembele level things up for the final score of 1-1. Roman de Arquer was watching on too and he joins us now to discuss this game. Can you start, Roman, by putting into context how bad a result this is for Barcelona to be held at home to a draw by the smallest club in La Liga? Given Barca's form this season, nothing really surprises me. But of course, it's a game that uh, they should have won. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that 80-90% of Barcelona fans were expecting to get the three points. I must have been pretty surprised because this is one of the games that every season Barca is almost guaranteed to win and especially when it's at the Camp Nou because Eibar actually played there in six other um, occasions and they never managed a single point so this is the first time that Eibar uh, managed a point at the Camp Nou and also not just Eibar but Mendy Libar as a coach he's visited the Camp Nou plenty of times I think it was nine occasions he's done it with Valladolid he's done it with Osasuna and with Eibar quite a few times and he never managed a single point either and in this occasion he also broke that really bad streak so it's definitely a game that Barca needed to win especially 
given the current situation where they're struggling in the league, to try and get closer to those higher positions. But unfortunately for them, it didn't work out. And credit to Abar for having a really good game. Mendilibar really did seem shocked to have taken a point. His post-match press conference was interesting and he brought up the absence of Messi, who Mendilibar said normally scores a couple of goals every game against them. And it's true. Messi scored 20 goals in 11 games against Ibar, but he wasn't there this time. Surely though, Barcelona should still be able to defeat Ibar without Messi. For sure, as I said before, Barca should have won... Um, not just because of the stats or the historical stats, but also because of the poor performance itself. I'm not saying it was a good game by Barcelona, not by far, but they still generated, I think, enough opportunities to win the game. Uh, the penalty should have gone in. Um, the offside was a great opportunity, and there were other decent chances, which unfortunately Barca were incapable of uh, slotting past the goalkeeper. And I kind of feel like Barca are just a bit... I don't know if it's unlucky or... or imprecise or I don't know what it is exactly but things aren't going well when it comes to scoring uh, the chances they get you know and it's not just open play as I said before with the penalty uh, Barca are the team to have missed more penalties this season with three one by uh, Griezmann one by Breathwaite one by Messi so I mean it's not working great in attack despite that they are generating something is missing there and also this comes to prove to those that were saying that Barca is better without Messi, that they were probably quite wrong, because without Messi, uh, you could tell something was missing. It wasn't just Messi, though, to be fair. All four of Barcelona's captains were absent, meaning that Ter Stegen was actually the captain for this one. Was there maybe a lack of leadership in the pitch? Definitely. I mean, this was a game for Griezmann, for example, to step up. We'd seen that in previous games, without Messi, he seemed to to show himself more, to, to grow as a player on the field. But in this game, he just did not really do much, you know. And he should have been capable of, of taking, uh, making the most of that opportunity, which wasn't the case. Uh, then Coutinho came on. He was also, uh, or he should have also been an important guy in this game, but was barely uh, in the match. He even got injured, unfortunately. He's going to miss... A lot of games, apparently, they're predicting around four months, which is unfortunate. And maybe only out of the expensive players, Dembélé made the most of his opportunity by scoring that goal and being a bit more incisive in attack. But overall, there was a lack of leadership in the game. And despite Ter Stegen being there and doing what he can, the best he can, he's far away you know, from where the, most of the action is taking place. So it's hard to, to, to lead a team uh, from the goal. Yeah, goalkeepers as captains is always an interesting debate. Maybe one for another time. Tactically, Ronald Koeman stuck for this game with the three centre-back system that we discussed last time, but it didn't have the same impact as it did against Real Valladolid. Why do you think that was? First of all, I think we have to take into account that uh, instead of Jordi Alba and Messi, we had uh, Junior Firpo and Griezmann. You know, it's not the same. Although, credit to Junior Firpo, who... Despite not having a great game, I think he was decent in terms of when it came to crossing the ball, when it came to those attacking positions, because I think he didn't feel that defensive pressure he's had when he's played maybe in a back line of four with with a line of three uh, center defenders behind him. He feels more secure and it allowed him to display more in attack. So that sense he did better. But still, I think Jordi Alba still provides a lot more uh, than he does. And it's also, 
a formation that's still not really uh, well learned, I'd say, by the players. As, as well. I think we mentioned in the previous podcast that Lingley, after the match, said that they'd barely had an opportunity to, to try this formation out. So I think it's still uh, in a very early stage and, and there needs to be a lot of work done for it to actually uh, be a very reliable uh, system for Kuman. One of the centre-backs, Ronald Araujo, made a big mistake for the Ibar goal, but I thought he actually played very well overall. How impressed have you been by him? I'm loving Araujo. I think he's a fantastic centre-back with a lot of potential. And let's not forget, he's still 21. He barely has uh, experience playing in Spain's first division. Uh, he's, he's not played that many games for Barcelona, to be honest. And he's come in very complicated circumstances, taking into account that he's uh, covering for an important centre-back such as Gerard Piquet. And also that the team is, is not really going through a good patch of results. You know, Barca are in a delicate moment and, uh, you know, it takes a lot of bravery and, and a lot of character to actually be able to, to perform this well, given these circumstances. So uh, credit to him for that. And also I loved how after the game, he wasn't afraid to appear in front of the media, to explain himself, to admit the mistake. And, and that's that's the character you need from a centre-back, a guy who's willing to, to accept what happened, but at the same time work to improve, keep uh, learning and become an important guy. Because I think at the moment he's possibly our best centre-back, I'd say, in front of Lengle and uh, Mingueza. And of course, as I said before, has a lot of future, a lot of potential. So uh, loving Araujo at the moment. Lastly, we have a listener question for you from one of our most loyal listeners from Diana Yeo. She asks, with how they've been so far this season, what constitutes success this season for Barcelona? I think in our preview pod of the season, uh, I predicted Barca would be third or fourth. I think I was third. And maybe I was even a bit optimistic, but I definitely think that uh, making it to the Champions League would be a massive success. That for me... Is, is the first um, key moment that would constitute success as asked by Diana. Also, I think another successful thing for Barca this season would be to keep Leo Messi. I think that would be another great achievement because as we saw in this game uh, without Leo Messi, the team isn't the same. We still need him. He's still important, not just because of his leadership, but also because of his quality, his his un, uncomparable skills, his goals, etc., etc., etc. Messi is crucial. And the third uh, success, I think, would be to finally have a new uh, board, a new president, a new team, someone who can start working now, you know, start fixing things now, because... All these months that are going past waiting for the elections, which might not even take place in the specified uh, 24th of January because there are worries about the COVID situation that could worsen after, of course, these Christmas holidays. So this could go on for even longer. And that's something that Barca can't really afford. It's not uh, positive. It's just generating more problems, more uncertainty because Kuman, for example, he's working with this. Uh, players, but at the same time, he doesn't really have a structure, someone to depend on, someone to rely on, someone to to work with, you know. So, and of course, that doesn't help at all, and that's just a small aspect that's um, of all the many aspects that are affecting Barca negatively. So, it's very important, I think, also to finally have a president in charge who can start working, start changing things ASAP. Okay, thanks, Roman, and thanks, Diana, for. That question there. We'll talk about Real Madrid's own 1-1 draw in just a bit. But first, 
we're going to dive into a game that I absolutely loved watching. It's the seven-goal thriller between Levante and Real Betis that finished 4-3 to the Granotas. We've got Alan Feely to discuss this game, which is our sore throat game of the week. He's going to talk us through what happened and through the crazy commentary that accompanied some of the goals. Over to you, Alan. A late rally from Real Betty couldn't prevent Levante from taking all three points on Tuesday evening at the Estadio Ciudad de Valencia, with the host sedging a seven-goal thriller 4-3. Oscar Duarte opened the scoring for Levante early doors, before Aysa Mandi got Betty back on level terms in the 12th minute. Then, 10 minutes later, Jose Luis Morales scored a brace within two minutes to enable the host to take a firm lead. His first was a stunning half volley that hit the roof of the net, scored after Danny Gomez held up a Jorge de Frutos cross from the right side and depicted by Andesero. Almost immediately after, another de Frutos centre ended up with the ball popping up for Morales after a scramble. Once again, it was a well-taken finish. And once again, it was detailed by Andesero with typical flair. Morales then turned provider to lay Levante's fourth in a play for Roger Marti before things became slightly more complicated for the hosts. Robert Pierre was sent off after an altercation with Diego Lainez, while for Betty, Sergio Canales, who was returning from a six-week injury layoff, entered the fray. A Duarte handball allowed the Cantabrian to mark his return with a cool spot kick in the 78th minute, before Canales then doubled his tally less than 10 minutes later. This time, his effort was a deflected finish from his favoured left side, described with passion by Cope, who announced, I partido, or we have a game. Sergio Canales! El disparo es del cántabro. Es verdad que alguien desvía ligeramente la trayectoria y el zurdazo se cuela en la portería del Levante. Hay partido. Vaya si lo hay en Valencia. Despite Las Verde Blanco's late remontada, or comeback, however, we didn't. Levante had done enough to earn the three points and head into the new year in good spirits. For Betty, it's another disappointing setback in a trying season, although the return of Canales will lift spirits in the green half of Seville. Thanks for that, Alan. And I really would urge you to check out the highlights of that game if you've still not seen the goals. A really fun one and two cracking goals from Morales, which, as we heard, got the commentators excited. We're going to take a short break now, but when we come back, we've got lots more La Liga storylines to go over with you. So stay tuned for that. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello everyone and welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We've heard about Barcelona's draw with Tiny Ibar. Now let's discuss Real Madrid's 1-1 draw at newly promoted Elche. They too slipped up, even though they went ahead fairly early on when Luka Modric headed in after a Marco Asensio blast that had been tipped onto the crossbar by Edgar Badia. But Danny Carvajal gave away a silly penalty and Fidel was able to convert for what turned out to be the last goal of that one. We've got Real Madrid fan Hassan Karim here to discuss this game and after winning six games in a row against some very difficult opponents, how can you explain that Real Madrid then go and draw against a struggling side like Elche? Is there even an explanation for it? Yeah, it's it's quite disappointing to be honest and I think I've said this in previous episodes, Real do always struggle to seem to step it up against sides in sort of the mid to lower tables like they struggle to... Uh, it's like they overlooked them, essentially, in all honesty. And, I mean, all credit to Elche. They were very, very good in this game. Uh, they, you know, they really made Real Madrid work, especially in the second half. You know, they were tight, they were compact. They played out of the back really well. Um, I picked it up in the in the commentary, actually, the way they were saying that they were like insistent on not put, playing the ball out. They were insistent on just holding it until they could just get out of the pressure. Um, and they did that well. They did that very, very well. And they did very well to attack down Real's weaker side, which, of course, was the left side where Marcelo featured. Um, yeah, you know, Elche were fully fully deserving of what they got. And Real, of course, didn't play up to par. So, you know, it's a result that was warranted based on that on those two facts alone. After Elche scored, they had a really good period after that. Why then do you think Zidane took so long to make any substitutions? I mean, we didn't get the first one until the 77th minute. It's it's really frustrating. I mean, we we've seen it in recent games as well. Where Zidane just doesn't do anything with the substitutions at all for long periods of time. And you sat there scratching your head, thinking something needs to change. They they need an injection of something from the bench. I mean, today's game was screaming for Martin Odegaard, literally screaming for him. He would have been perfect for it, but yet not picked up off the bench. Um, it's just it's it's really really frustrating. But as I said, um. In the, in the previous question, you know, Elche were fully deserving of what they got. You know, they were especially in the second half. They were fantastic. They had plenty of good chances. I mean, they hit the post. They really did make it tricky for Real, and you know that was warranted. 
but I, I'm really, I'm just, I'm absolutely at a loss for why Zinedine Zidane took so long to make substitutions. I think had he done it sooner, he may have just managed to pull something from this game. Now I know, Has, that you get stressed out when Marcelo plays. You've already mentioned him earlier, and it's yet another Marcelo performance in which Real Madrid dropped points. There's always that correlation right now between Marcelo playing and points being dropped, but it wasn't really his fault this time, was it? Directly, it wasn't the fault of the Brazilian, and yeah, I do get very stressed when watching Marcelo these days because he's just become really, really hard to watch. There's just there's nothing in there that screams of that 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 Brazilian flair that we remember, that marauding fullback that we remember is just not there anymore. And for what reason, I I'm not sure. Is it physical decline? You know, he's not particularly that old. He's only into his early 30s. There's no way that he's declined that much when you look at Luka Modric, who's older than him and performing at stupid levels at this point in time. So I I just, I don't really know what to say with him now. Um, Yeah, Elche definitely made a point of attacking down his side because there were moments where he just wasn't in the position. And going forward, he just looked tired. He hogged the ball for too long just put, picked out the worst passes possible at times. Yeah, he had his moments, he definitely had his moments, but those moments are becoming so few and far between, it's not even worth the risk of playing him anymore. It's just sad, it's just really sad, because we know what he was capable of, and what he probably still is capable of at times, and we do see it in glimpses and flashes, but glimpses and flashes are not enough to keep him at this club any longer. Yeah, it, it does hurt a hell of a lot, but that's the sad truth of it at this point in time, I'm afraid. Well, thank you, Haas, for coming on after that frustrating draw. A draw that leaves Real Madrid two clear points behind Atletico Madrid, with Atleti also having two games in hand still to play. They got the job done in their midweek game as they beat Hitafi 1-0 at home, and of course they won this game. Their record against Hitafi under Simeone, who had his 500th game, by the way, in this one. Their record against Hitafi with him as coach is 16 wins, 2 draws and 0 defeats. And even more incredibly, it's 34 goals scored in that time and 0 conceded. Not 1 in the 9 years of Atletico versus Atafi games since Simeone took over. This time, it was a classic 1-0 win with Luis Suarez scoring the only goal. And thankfully for Atletico, he's in good form because they just lost a striker this week as Diego Costa's contract has been rescinded. That story all happened very quickly, so... To break it all down and to give us a lowdown on how and why Costa has left, here's Sam Leverage. One of the biggest headlines in recent days has been the departure of Diego Costa from Atletico Madrid. It's been coming for a while this season. I mean, since he picked up an injury against Celta Vigo, the first few weeks he was kind of rotating with Luis Suarez, but then he picked up an injury. And even when he's been fit again, he hasn't featured playing just 37 minutes in three appearances since that tie early on. José Ramón de la Morena and El Transistor explained that things were very heated off the pitch. He was involved in a big row with Nelson Vivas, the, the new assistant manager who replaced Mono Burgos. He was involved in discussions and arguments with Diego Simeone as well. And that was what led to him eventually saying that he wanted to leave the club, that his family had gone back to Brazil, and that was what he wanted to do as well. The issue came when Atletico said that they wanted to put in a 20 to 25 million euro clause that any club in the Champions League or La Liga who tried to sign him would have to pay that fee to sign him even if he was a free agent. It seems fair enough if Costa's saying that he wants to go with his family to Brazil, one final payday, all that, great. 
But Diego Costa said no, and that's where the issue started to come up. So he obviously has some kind of talks or agreement with some club, and Diego Costa stopped going to training to try and force through the deal, and the consensus seems to be that the final deal is that any club between Barcelona, Real Madrid or Sevilla would have to pay 15 million euros to sign him, and anybody else can do so for free. It's not great for Atleti, I mean... It's been a difficult situation, clearly. I mean, De La Morena explained that he was a toxic atmosphere and a toxic influence in the dressing room, which is something that Diego Simeone just won't tolerate. But it does leave them without cover in a crucial position. Because, I mean, Luis Suarez doesn't have an obvious alternative. I mean, there are other strikers that can play there, but they're not the same kind of mould of forward. So they've been linked with Alec Milik, of Napoli, Lorraine Maldon, of Betis, but neither of them are quite as convincing as maybe kind of a Diego Costa with his track record. Neither of them will come cheap either. I think it'll be sad to see Diego Costa go. I mean, his Instagram post didn't make any reference to Diego Simeone directly either, which kind of feeds into what De La Morena said. But I think most fans are sad to see him go. I mean, he's still revered for what he did in his first run at the club and he's always given his all. I mean, all his injuries, you can criticise him and his form, but he's always been one to fight and kind of represent what Atletico Madrid represents. So Diego Costa is popular with the Atletico Madrid fans, even now, even after how he's left, but there is a little bit of a bitter taste in their mouth and more one of concern of how he's going to be replaced. Let's move on by discussing some of the other results from this midweek round of action at the same time as the Levante versus Real Betis 4-3 game on Tuesday night at the exact same time. We also had Cadiz versus Real Valladolid, and it was nil-nil. Now, it wasn't as dull as the scoreline suggests. There was some good moments, some decent chances in it, but of course this was a game that was completely overshadowed by the other one taking place at the same time. A decent point note for these two teams. Also on Tuesday we had Sevilla against Villarreal, a match between two teams whose realistic objective for the season is to finish in the top four. And Sevilla got the better of Villarreal winning 2-0, to end Unai Emery's undefeated run at 18 games. There was a quite harsh penalty against Juan Foyf for an early handball and Lucas Campos scored to get Sevilla going. That decision conditioned the entire game, Unai Emery said after the match, after a defeated return for him to the Sanchez piece one. In the second half, Villarreal did have chances to equalise, but the only other goal was for Yusuf Nassiri as Sevilla extended their lead. It was overall a bad midweek for the away sides in general, and that was true in Vigo, where Celta defeated Huesca 2-1 thanks to the latest show from Iago Aspas. He set up Nolito's opener and scored one of his own to make Jaime Sione's late goal for Huesca absolutely redundant. It was a 2-1 win for Celta Vigo, and they keep flying under new boss Eduardo Cudet. There was also a 2-1 victory for Granada at home to Valencia, and we're going to discuss that now with Valencia fan Paco Pollitt. Now, this was a wild game. The goals coming from Kennedy, Kevin Gamero and Jorge Molina, but there was also a disallowed Granada goal, two Valencia red cards, one Granada red card, and then that late Molina winner. Now, Paco, was overall this a deserved win for Granada? It would be unfair to say otherwise. That opening disallowed goal, for example, walked the fine line between the ref making or not the proper call. If Valencia, for example, had had such a goal disallowed for a previous foul as light as the one 
which took place, I guess Valencia fans would be fuming today. But if we leave that aside, Granada seemed a better equipped team, they had more chances and even enjoyed quite a few minutes with one or even two more men on top of the pitch. Jorge Molina was the one to score the header, but actually the last 15 minutes they had enjoyed a few opportunities to score the winning goal already. So ultimately, yes, Granada deserved the win. As a Valencia fan, how frustrated are you with Jason and Geddes for their very different but equally avoidable red cards? See, I can't remember two consecutive individual mistakes so big in a single game. Frustrated doesn't even come close. I think Valencia fans should be playing angry with them for being sent off for avoidable screw-ups. In Jason's case, he was flirting with the second yellow card for almost half an hour and finally got his second booking after a stupid low blow with the ball far away from his position. As for Gonzalo Guedes, the official report of the game says that the ref sent him off for swearing and telling him literally, vete a la mierda, which will possibly mean that his ban will be harsh, very harsh, and take place for a few more games. Everything went down in three minutes and obviously ruined any chance of Valencia winning this game. Yeah, now looking at the form book, it's just one win from Valencia's past eight matches and that win was against Terrassa in the Copa after they scraped through in extra time. Is this the worst run of results you can remember? It's not the worst run of results which comes to mind, but I definitely haven't seen Valencia as weak, as disoriented, as clueless and as mismanaged in the 34 years I've been living in this planet. The worst thing is that we actually saw it coming and tried to cry wolf many, many times, but some people thought Valencia were just too big to fail or too big to become involved in the scrap to avoid relegation. I've stated this many, many times. Meriton Holdings and Pitalim have been the worst thing to happen to Valencia in the 21st century. And they are in their way to become the worst thing to happen to Valencia Club de Football in 102 years of existence. It's not the players. It's not the coach. It's not the results. It's just that we still are unable to see the bottom of the pit. So the free-falling might continue for quite a while. Well, let's get into that relegation question. I've asked it before, but I'll ask it again. What percentage chance do you think there is of Valencia being relegated? Is it 20%, 50%, higher? I can't really talk about percentages. I can talk about stats. Valencia have won once in 2020 away from home in La Liga. Valencia have picked up 15 points in 16 games. If they keep such an average they would finish the season with around 35 or 36 points, which might not be enough to avoid getting relegated to Segunda. The squad is too young, too short, too lacking in quality, too tired because there is no successful player rotation and too inexperienced when fighting for survival. So I won't talk about percentages, but I can predict suffering, desperation and despair in 2021 if Valencia's board don't pull themselves together, make no less than four signings and finally spend cash in refurbishing a team which currently isn't good enough for La Liga. And I am stating this regardless of the fact that Javi Gracia remains in the dugout or not, because Valencia's board are hapless enough 
to deny him from the chance of resigning back in October and then sacking him three months later with the team much further down in the table. Absolute management geniuses at work indeed. Okay, thanks for that, Paco. It's really been a terrible season for Valencia, as terrible as was expected at the start of the campaign. But all that said, remember, they're still actually the current Copa del Rey holders. That's, of course, because Athletic and Real Sociedad's 2019-20 Cup final hasn't been able to be played yet. But those two teams will finally meet again on New Year's Eve in La Liga. That's one of two matches taking place to round off match day 16 on New Year's Eve. The other one being Osasuna against Alaves. And then it's into 2021. Now that means many things for many people and one of the things that that means is that the transfer window is open again. On LaLigaLowdown.com we've got a detailed transfer window guide right now that goes through each team and their needs in the winter market. So be sure to check that out and to tell us your thoughts on what you want your team to do. You can always join in the conversation with us on Twitter, our account is simple. It's at La Liga Lowdown. For now, all that's left for me to say is to thank this episode's contributors. That's Roman de Arquer, Alan Feely, Hassan Karim, Sam Leverage, and Paco Pollitt. And I want to wish everyone a happy new year and best wishes for 2021. La Liga Lowdown will be back with you in the new year. So speak to you then. <laughs>